Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Middle East Matters here on France 24. Coming up on the programme, anti-government protesters vow to push on with their campaign of opposition to Benjamin Netanyahu's plans to overhaul the judiciary. Demonstrators say the proposals would deal a fatal blow to Israeli democracy and nullify the rule of law. Putting a fox in charge of the hen house, say environmental activists, furious over the appointment of an Emirati oil chief as president of the COP28 climate summit, which takes place later this year in Dubai. And the jewel in the crown is back in the red. Hard hit by the COVID pandemic, Jordan's economy is receiving a much needed boost thanks to a significant rise in visitor numbers to the ancient red rose city of Petra. Tourism revenue has tripled over the past 12 months. Well, just weeks into the job, Benjamin Netanyahu's new coalition is facing a backlash over plans to overhaul the judiciary, with tens of thousands joining rallies over the past two weekends. Following elections in November, he installed the most hardline and religious government in Israeli history. Demonstrators say the proposed reforms, which would allow Parliament to limit the power of the Supreme Court, are an attack on democracy, and they're concerned the measures will set back minority rights. Well, to discuss, we're joined now by Sally Abed, member of the National Leadership at Standing Together, one of the largest Arab-Jewish grassroots movements in Israel. Good to have you with us here on the programme, Sally. So firstly, talk to us a little bit about the protest movement itself. Your group was one of the organisers of the first anti-government rally. What is your main motivation and what do you think these protests can achieve? Is it just about these proposed Supreme Court reforms? The protests are actually at this uh, moment, it's a coalition uh, of, of various organizations, uh, various uh, organized groups uh, that uh, really come uh, with their own agenda. Uh, of course, uh, we do see that uh, one of the most uh, prominent uh, messages or one of the most uh, prominent threats that people are perceiving, people that are coming to Tel Aviv to protest, is about uh, the Supreme Court reform. Um, and uh, obviously, we also understand uh, that this reform, uh, you know, it has uh, various translations and various uh, uh, threats on already marginalized uh, groups uh, in Israel um, and uh, in Palestine. Uh, you know, the primary uh, victim or the primary uh, really targeted uh, group uh, is going to be uh, Palestinians, uh, also citizens of Israel, but also Palestinians in the occupied territories. Um, and that's the message uh, that we are uh, providing as uh, standing together uh, as our movement. Um, and uh, really, it's a very diverse, different groups, even within, you know, it's an 80,000 uh, people uh, protest and you could see different blocks. And bearing that in mind, Sally, how do you bring such a divided society together? Um, you know, bringing the two different edges uh, of the Israeli public that is uh, opposing uh, this government uh, doesn't come without challenges. Uh, we are a coalition of people from the center, even the very the soft right, what's so soft called uh, right, to a very, very leftist, even radical, uh, 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 you know, organizations. Uh, it doesn't come without uh, challenges, but we are, uh, you know, in a coalition. We have open talks. We are trying to be more 
transparent with each other. And I do think uh, that this is an opportunity uh, to actually try and understand and imagine uh, a new majority, a wider resistance of, of, uh, of Israeli uh, government, but also Israeli uh, policies, uh, not just this new government, but in previous uh, years. And these protests are being organised by grassroots activists like yourselves. They've been backed by centrist and left-wing opposition parties. But what about the Arab parties in Israel? How do you get them to come on board? Uh, that's... Uh we actually, the first uh, protest back in, uh, not this Saturday, the one before, uh, we actually had a much more diverse uh, uh, speakers on, on the stage because Standing Together was actually the one that organized it. We had MK Ayman Ode um, uh, as a speaker. We had uh, also Naamal Azimi from the Labour Party who was a speaker. And uh, we are trying to involve them. Um, this new government, uh, this, this new development and protest uh, as I said before, you know, they are not particularly inviting, unfortunately, uh, to Palestinians at the moment. Uh, you know, in Israel, we feel like uh, this is not our fight. And standing together uh, is really trying to understand how we can create uh, protests, how we can create mobilizations and resistance within the Palestinian uh, community, and also understand how we can overlap and connect them to the current uh, energy and the current mass uh, mobilizations that are happening in the center. And we we are trying to spread it more to the uh, to the peripheries. And Sally, as Israeli society it appears to be moving ever further to the right, how do you bring it back towards the centre and reduce the influence of the far right? Polls do show that uh, the, the Israeli public is, uh, system, you know, uh, very gradually but very steadily uh, has moved to the right in recent years. Uh, this is not a coincidence or, or an accident. Uh, the right uh, government and right forces, uh, you have think tanks, organizations, movements that are very well funded, that have been working, uh, you know, very well and, and systematically, methodologically for years to move the public right. Um, but if you really uh, ask the, most of the public in Israel, uh, you know, what they think about other issues other than Israel-Palestine, uh, you know, which is such a polarizing uh, moment, and you ask people about social issues, economic issues, um, and liberal uh, democratic uh, issues, then you see that the public is not as right as you would expect. And uh, what we really need to do is, is try and not only talk about uh, um, uh, we really need to talk about real things uh, with people. We need to get to the peripheries and actually be relevant to people's life. We need to talk about uh, uh, the costs of living, about the crisis of housing, uh, the crisis of transportation, the minimum wage, uh, all of these things that are very real to people. And we really need to do that through Jewish-Arab joint struggle across the different sections and the different communities in Israeli society. Finally, Sally, are you optimistic that these protests will put real pressure on Netanyahu? Where do things go from here? Uh, I'm not sure about the Supreme Court and the reform. Uh, I, I don't think uh, uh, this will be able to uh, stop the reform. Hopefully it will. What I am optimistic about is the amount of energy that we're having and the opportunities that we'll be able to have, the different unlikely alliances that before weren't possible, that we will be able to create them and build a new uh, political infrastructure and political leaderships on the ground that will be able to work uh, for the next four years 
others uh, in order to actually uh, uh, be stronger uh, on the grassroots level uh, and, and resist this new government. And not only resist this new government, but actually build an alternative, a different kind of political conversation about social and economic issues, about racism, uh, about uh, the occupation, uh, and what we can do together as a new majority in Israel. So yes, I am optimistic that this is not only a challenge, but also an opportunity for us. Okay, Sally, thank you so much for your time. That's Sally Abbott, member of the Standing Together grassroots movement in Israel. With the choice of host city had already been raising eyebrows, the UAE is now the subject of a wave of international criticism after appointing the head of the state oil giant to lead this year's COP28 climate talks, which take place in Dubai. The move has prompted fury among environmental campaigners, as Jenny Shin explains. With time running out to act on the climate emergency, it's an appointment that's impossible to go unnoticed. Sultan Al-Jaber has been named the president of the COP28 climate summit, which will kick off on November 30th in Dubai. The 49-year-old Emirati is the head of Abu Dhabi's National Oil Company, one of the largest in the world. He says he wants to highlight the efforts of the company to reduce its CO2 emissions. At ADNOC, we have connected all our operations to zero-carbon nuclear and solar power. We are electrifying our offshore operations to cut their carbon footprint in half. Maximum energy, minimum emissions. Sultan al Jaber also heads Mazdar, the Emirati renewable energy company. He made a name for himself in 2006 with Mazdar City, an ecological and sustainable city project in Abu Dhabi. But al Jaber, who is also the UAE's industry minister, is a fervent defender of black gold and hopes for his oil company, Adnoc, to invest $600 billion in hydrocarbons every year until 2030. For environmentalists, the conflict of interest is obvious, and the appointment is a provocation. It's like appointing the CEO of a tobacco company to oversee a conference on cancer treatments. Greenpeace is deeply alarmed by the appointment of an oil company CEO to lead global climate negotiations. This sets a dangerous precedent. There is no place for the fossil fuel industry and the global climate negotiations. The choice of Dubai as the host of the COP28 has already sparked controversy. The United Arab Emirates are the fourth largest emitters of CO2 per capita. The oil and gas abundant nation wants to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050, leveraging carbon capture technologies and green energy. Tourism revenue accounts for about 20% of Jordan's gross domestic product. The COVID pandemic took a heavy toll on the kingdom's economy. But despite recent labour strikes and a squeeze on gas prices, it's showing some signs of recovery, thanks to a boost in tourist numbers to the ancient Red Rose city of Petra. Monty Francis has the details. To enter the city of Petra, you have to walk through a narrow path surrounded by high walls of rock. By the thousands, tourists are making the trek each day to set their eyes on the ancient site and to marvel at its 2,000 years of history. Empty during the pandemic, the vestiges of the Nabataean civilization nestled in a valley of rose-red stone is back as one of the top tourist sites in the world. 
The colors are amazing. The scenery is just amazing. Even the people who work here are extremely nice. It's really worth visiting Petra, because it's really spectacular. The return of tourists to the site is a godsend for the area. 80% of the 35,000 people who live in the Petra region depend directly or indirectly on tourism for their livelihoods. That includes the hundreds of guides at the site, ecstatic to be back at work. The COVID pandemic was a really hard time for us, but thank goodness those two difficult years are behind us now. Our livelihood is mainly based on tourism and we are very happy that it has come back. It's a good thing for Jordan, because it benefits all Jordanians. Already on a rebound in 2022 with some 900,000 tourists visiting the site, those in charge of the tourism sector in Jordan say 2023 is on track to surpass 1.3 million visits. With so many eager to experience the UNESCO heritage site and what's considered the eighth wonder of the world. That's it for this week's edition of Middle East Matters. Stay with us for more world news here on France 24.